0: This is a podcast from Rep Sounds, the new platform from Dundee Rep and Scottish Dance Theatre.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of Rep Sounds, number six in our Rep Sounds podcast series here at Dundee Rep and Scottish Dance Theatre. My name is Andrew Panton, I'm Artistic Director here at the Rep. I am absolutely delighted to be joined today by Jemima Levick, Sally Reed, Luke Kemp, and Becky Hope Palmer, the directors who will be taking the helm for the 22, 23 season here at Dundee Rep. Hello everyone. Good morning. It's early, isn't it? Good Thank morning. you for joining us. Thank you for joining us so much. Um, maybe we could start by just going around. Can you just say um, a little bit about your involvement in this season, you know, talk about the show you're doing and anything else you want to tell us about what you're up to? I'm going to start on my right with Becky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jemima <laughs> pointing her finger. We should note first. the coffee. The
1: coffee hasn't arrived yet, so the caffeine is still to kick in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Becky's on the spot.
2: Yes. Hello, I'm Becky Hope Palmer, and I am d- going to be directing the steamy by Tony Roper, uh, which I believe is the first show of the season. Is that it right? It is.
1: You're opening the season. In no fact, We might. We're almost sitting in in season order, so ma- oh that oh might be the. Or- yes. Thank you for flagging I that, was, Becky. Yeah. 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 Almost like help. it was organised. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah, no pressure. But, Starting the season off. With a Scottish classic <laughs> on its 35-year anniversary,
3: an enormous, wow. most popular Scottish classic. <laughs> the whole I'm delighted it's good. and terrified.
1: It is one of those titles that everybody knows and yeah. everybody's seen or been part of or think they have at least. And everyone's kind of got a story about it. My favourite bit is—it's it's, it's quite a lot, yeah. of, quite a lot to take on your shoulders. How are you feeling about that?
2: Uh, great, really great right now. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me in a month <laughs> when we start.
1: <laughs> and it's a very, um, obviously it's a very female driven piece. It's narratives that are really important that um, that still resonate now. Mm. Um, are you thinking about it in a different way from when it was written? Or are you telling it as it is? Wh- wh- what's your kind of ideas and the way you want to tell that story?
2: Um, I, I, th- I think I first came across it at school and, you know, it was just great fun. And, and you didn't really read too much into it past having a go and trying to do the scottish a- the glaswegian accent and now as a kind of woman in my 30s and kind of you know especially at the moment with everything that's happened in the past few years and the isolation that we've kind of all found ourselves in that that aspect of community and of coming togetherness and also um kind of care and 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 caring for your family, d- you know, d- doing chores in the family or in your household, has taken on quite a new kind of resonance. And I think that as uh, as a kind of female-driven narrative, I think that certainly feels still very um, relevant in terms of how women are kind of perceived and how their responsibility is still um, is still very prevalent within that landscape. And caring and doing a lot of chores and sort of having to provide that support for each other um, and that's something that we've not had for a while so kind of getting together and hearing these women speak in um, this sort of conversational piece Um I'm really looking forward to kind of exploring afresh.
1: Uh, I think that's I think that's really exciting of course there's songs in it as well there's a song world uh, apart from the kind of spoken world and that's an interesting kind of language to deal with as well isn't it
2: yeah I love songs in shows (laughs) so I'm really looking forward to that Um, and um, yeah I think I think they're all really kind of classic songs people will know them hopefully and recognize them and if they don't they're very kind of you know, you know what you're getting from them and that's the kind of beauty of them. Um, so I'm really enjoying that part of the narrative. Yeah.
1: There's something about Scottish theatre that if you don't have songs in, in, in a piece and you don't have direct address to the audience at some point, you're doing something wrong, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> There's something in our heritage that kind of... Re- in a music w- hall. yeah, yeah, for y- yeah, sure. Yeah,
2: Yeah. yeah I'm, that that's something I find really fun about directing theatre. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Great! Thanks as for this opportunity. <laughs> as our
1: absolute pleasure, as our members of our ensemble, they cannot wait to get going. Yeah, really. I really, yeah, it's one of those shows actually. I can't believe we've never done at the rep in the in the rep history. It's Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Thank so you. hot on the heels of the steamy comes Don Quixote, yep. man of clack manager, which is uh, I'm very happy to say is a co-production with Perth Theatre. Lou Kemp, artistic director at Perth Theatre, at the helm. Lou, tell us a little bit about this because it's a title that that we know that we certainly think we know, but this is not in a form that we necessarily know it.
0: not necessarily as you know it. Also, with direct address to the audience and songs, uh, but of a flamenco style and a flamenco cover of 80s classics, uh, amongst other things. So the soundtrack that you'll see on stage performed by a flamenco guitarist and uh, others is uh, the soundtrack in Don's Head. And Don is a man in his uh, later years middle 80s, living in Clapmaninshire, and it's the story of himself and his nephew, Sandy, who is a generation rent, whereas Don is one of the bo- baby boomer generation. And it's based on the story of Don Quixote, um, more than based on it, it is the story of Don Quixote, it's just updated to now, in Scotland, uh, to our current political and economic climate. And it's really inspired by a conversation that the writer and I had with the adapter and I had with a gerontologist called Dan Davis and Dan Davis said that uh, one of the interesting things about aging in the UK at the moment is that what we want for the people that we love is safety and what we want for ourselves is freedom and how do we negotiate the tension between those two points. So Don lives in a glorious imaginative world and embraces that world thoroughly, including fighting windmills and all the rest of it and his poor, unfortunate nephew, Sandy, has to manage that adventuring or elderly man who is starting to slip out of our reality and into a different consciousness.
1: Wow. We're She's not even <laughs> had a coffee yet. <laughs> On fire. It's exciting. To, I mean, all of that, and with a flamenco 80s cover soundtrack.
4: <laughs> yes, all yeah, of that. Amen,
1: can, amen. <laughs> I mean, what's not to love? You yeah. what, I'd, I'd see that right now if I could. <laughs> ta- yeah. well, it's, well, it's got well, the magical
0: Karen Tennant designing it, and she is magical. So it will be beautifully epic and fantastical and also deeply banal in the way that ageing is often deeply banal.
2: Did you read the whole novel? Yes. Did you? How long did it take? But hilariously,
0: one of our uh, engagement team, who are fantastic, uh, they read the script, really enjoyed it, and then ordered the novel, and then sent me a horrified text. (laughs) Like,
2: it's 980 pages long! Audiobook on half, like, triple (laughs) speed. That's how I (laughs) do it.
1: And then next we come to, in terms of our theater season, we, we're all, there's a, there's a bit of a thing isn't there in theater that you're always talking about Christmas. You're either in production, debriefing on it, planning for the next one. Um, and so we're always talking about Christmas and we've been talking about Cinderella for quite a while now. A brand new musical treatment, contemporary musical treatment from M.G. McCarthy and Linda Radley, uh, directed by a, a previous artistic director here at The Rep, um, Jemima Levick. That's a big intro. How you oh, f- tell us about Cinderella, Jemima.
3: Cinderella's <laughs> exciting. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've always wanted to direct Cinderella, so I'm chuffed to do it. Um, and I love Linda and MJ's work, and they feel like the right people to be doing it. So, it's very exciting. It's lovely to come back to Dundee and, um, yeah, come home for a little while. It's always what I think of it is whenever I come back. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's funny sitting in this room, actually, as so I sat in many of hours of board meetings in this very room, so it's quite a strange experience, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, so, yes, uh, it's a new version of Cinderella um, uh, set on a farm, and um, Cinderella is called Ella, and she has a stepbrother and a stepsister, and uh, she lives with her stepmother. And, um, yeah, it's um, the story of her sort of working out who she is, and there is a sort of character that's like a prince but he's sort of her prince not necessarily a royal prince and um it's really a sort of an adaptation that's connected to the earth and about how we exist in the environment that we you know and how we look after the environment that we are surrounded by and um it touches on climate change and about how we look after the earth under our feet as well as uh, the people that are around us um and it's in really early draft so yeah it's sort of all to play for but there are going to be songs i don't know if there's going to on. be direct address there's totally going to be surely there's going to be direct address i'll make sure there's direct address I'm i mean
1: if there's there. not at the moment in this draft after this conversation i think <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah we'll make sure we get some in <laughs> yeah in fact I've got a notes session later today so I'll be able to feed that in that'll be my first note I think there needs to be some direct direct (laughs) tracks there are definitely songs and yeah they feel sort of folky and Scottish and yeah they they I think it'll be fun
1: so Christmas I mean it feels like a a way off now in the summer but um we will be there very soon and it is it's a really important time for all theatres isn't it I mean it's it's usually the, the the biggest footfall that we get it's also the responsibility and the knowledge that for most people it's the first time they experience theatre for the majority of young people and yeah. um, i remember myself included that was the first time i was ever in a theatre experiencing live music people talking to me directoress and uh, <laughs> that kind of that kind of sense of being part of a world that i had never experienced before yeah, um, yeah so it is a massive responsibility isn't it
3: it is yeah it's really huge and actually Cinderella was the first show i went to see ever i remember well i i remember Um, that my granny took me to see in Brighton, I think. Um, And yeah, I think that that responsibility to make sure you get it right for families. And for some people, it's the only time of year they go to the theatre and that's really important. You know, we've got to make sure that they have a really good time. Um, You know, and it's about the event on the stage, but it's absolutely about the event of bringing your family together. And there are so many people who book for, you know, it's part of their... Uh, Christmas tr- tradition and their ritual, you know, and that Boxing Day is the day they go and see the show. And, you know, and uh, uh, that's, I mean, that's, it's an incredible privilege to make a show for people at that time of year, I think, because, and I, I also, I love the way that it sort of transforms the whole country, that suddenly everybody's in work, you know, like there are Christmas shows everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment when you go, oh, this is when we. it feels really vibrant and you've got so much choice and it's about making sure that you've got your own um, your own special something on the stage. You know, we're not going to be doing what Elaine C. Smith does in the Kings in Glasgow. You know, we're not going to be doing what they do up in Aberdeen. It's going to you know, it's going to be unique to Dundee, but it's for everybody. And that's really exciting. Like, I love it. I love Christmas when there's loads of shows on everywhere. And I love the people who come in the door. Like, you know, you get your granny and people come with their four-year-old and their granny. And like, that's glorious. Like, we don't often get that with the audiences that walk through our doors. You know, you may be out, you know, I don't know, with your pals to go and see a show or or maybe you'll go and see something with your mum. But when do you ever take the whole gamut of your family? Um, and that, for me, is the joy of making Christmas shows. You get to do like a little mini-musical for all the family and that you know that that ticks all my boxes so that's i um,
0: nice. had one of my nicest moments in a the theater last christmas at dundee rep when i was sitting next to a little girl and your plant so the setup was that their, a boy comes out of the audience and sings on stage and you think he's just a member of the audience and the little girl beside me turned to her mother and went his mummy must be so proud.
3: Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and she was thrilled. Yes. Well, you do, you get those incredible <laughs> moments where they're having conversations about it as well because of that sort of freedom that happens in Christmas because people aren't quite as uptight about behaving mm. properly or whatever it is that happens to people sometimes when they get into the theatre. And um, I remember we did The Witches Here a really long time ago now. I don't like to think about it. Um, But I remember um, one of the 80s. Sometime in the early 80s. One of the um, actors walked walked out on stage and there were two little girls and they were sat in front of me. It was in a preview. And one of them leant over to the other one and she went, she looks like us. That and it was this really amazing moment, and they they were absolutely trans, and it was Moyo Akande. and she and uh, you know Moyo has got incredible stage presence, and she's absolutely gorgeous, and I was like, well, we all want to look like <laughs> Moyo, but you know it was this amazing moment where they were absolutely transfixed by her, and I was like, this is why we do it, right? So those you know those little girls and those little boys yeah. watch and they go, oh, that that could be me, you know, and they transport themselves into yeah. that world, and it and sounds see, so, lo- so
4: sorry, lovely. so lovely. Just see when you're on stage, yeah, yeah. that's what keeps you going as well. Yeah, totally. And you do seventy odd shows a week. Totally. It's clo- it's like zooming in on somebody's just transfixed presence in the audience, and you're yeah, like, yeah. this one's for you. Yes, and definitely. It totally keeps you going, and that's so exciting. Like, I remember seeing you and Cinderella and the
3: Tron, and then. Yeah, they, they, they were just, they were so for you. It was amazing. They were like, go on, go on. And it was like, they're absolutely in it. And I love the way that, I love the behavior that Christmas brings yeah. with it as well because everybody, you know, they join in. You
1: know, it's, it's true and everyone's so up for it. And I suppose there's a particular resonance this year um for all of us because the last two years have been disrupted in, in lots of different ways for lots of, you know, reasons that were out with our control and, you know, t- touching wood as we speak, this might be our first Christmas season back that we can actually run in the way that's been planned but I mean how is it's a bold <laughs> statement recorded on radio everybody not, not a prediction an aspiration <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but um, I think l- last Christmas we went into it expecting things to change and and that was fine the one before was was slightly less mm-hmm. like that but but hopefully we do uh, c- and Im- are able to embrace it for all the people that want to come and see it this year because I think there's a lot of disappointed young people that, uh, that couldn't see our shows collectively. I'm talking school all of Scottish theater really couldn't see it till the end. And then after Christmas, as we've been using a sort of informal uh, subtitle for for this season um, at The Rep, which is titles and revivals. So, you know, familiarity, I think, is important to audiences at the moment when they have to make big decisions about um, how they spend their money, how they spend their time and uh, coming back, you know, collectively to be around a lot of people at the same time. So titles and revivals. So if those were the titles, we're on to revivals now. Um, a big hit for us here at The Rep was Smile, which closed just before the first lockdown, didn't it, Sally? Yeah. What do you remember about that? It was
4: like two or three weeks. And funnily enough, going from um, Christmas show at the Tron, which I was in, and what, and reading the news and seeing that all like unfold and just thinking it was so far away, knowing I was coming up here, doing Smile, and then it just getting closer and closer and closer. <laughs> And then I think it was two weeks after we closed. Um, yeah, the, the, we all know what happened. Um, so, so yeah. And then the next thing, I think that you did here was film smile. That's right. So that's right. Could have just left the setup.
1: Yeah, we could have done. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a lot easier. Yeah. Um, what? And just left Mary just like a in a sleeping bag on the yeah, stage? Yeah, come on, yeah. like. <laughs>
4: Have to give it a clean. Chris, socially distanced, you know. Um, yes, it was a year later that we that we came back and um, and filmed it for the streamed release. So
1: what was that like? Revisiting it, but revisiting it in a different medium—one that another medium you're very familiar with as a director as well. But what what was th- what did that feel like?
4: It was great. So um, in that time from the first. Uh, iteration of it on stage in 2020. We lost Jim at the end of 2020. So coming back and filming it with that in mind was really interesting. And I spoke to... Um, this is Jim McLean, isn't Jim it? Jim yes. Who McLean, the story's yes, based Jim, on. Jim, yeah. yes. Yeah, on and um, spoke to Philip Differ, the writer, about that. And did we want to um, change anything or just look at that in a different way? But the show itself was a tribute to Jim legacy and his life and what he'd achieved anyway, at a point in his life when he was um, just struggling with dementia and not really aware of that anyway. So that was, so we didn't change anything for the the streamed release. But what we did do was, it seemed to be when when Jim passed away in December, the the fans and the people of Dundee, they, they created this incredible tribute to him because uh, at, at Tannadice on the, on the uh, gates and it was just, it just, they needed to express that. So I thought we need to include that in some way, that it's a tribute from the fans or from Dundee really. And we got in touch with Tanadice and they, they kept all the flags and scarves and tributes that were left outside uh, the stadium in black bags and they went here have it all do whatever you want with it Um, so we 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 draped it over the auditorium the seats in the auditorium Mm -hmm. and sort of panned around that at the end and it showed empty seats as well and it felt like it was it felt like at that point as well in January, 2020, nobody was in the auditorium. So it was like a tribute to theater as well. And
1: I remember that shot vividly. It really tells a story of uh-huh. a, a, a moment in time, doesn't it? For, yeah. for,
4: for theater and, and the fans. Um, but also we, I just kept thinking all, all the way through the process from 2020 to now, football's like theater. And it was always that analogy of like, they've got their own auditorium and then they cheer and there's goodies and baddies and <laughs> yeah. And so it was lovely that that came together in that moment and people and comments from people that had seen the show live, which was just v- visceral and incredible with the with the fans, p- possibly people who'd never stepped foot in a theatre before um, crying, standing on their feet, and I hope they've come back. You know, I, d- I don't know what the, if, if that audience have come back, but it was just, yeah, so people that had seen it live and then people that had watched the, um, the streamed version, the comments on that were, they felt like they got closer into Jim's head because they were watching it um, up close. It was really, and Barry turned in a, a just a different energy in his performance and it was beautiful.
1: and, and, and what a performance it was. And, and and we'll be again when we when we bring it back. It was also I remember when, when the stream was released, um, that we were getting comments from from football fans and, and Dundee fans all over the world. That was the difference as well. Really? I mean it oh was wow. like from all different countries yeah. that you know that they were in different places that could be mm. part of that that community. Mm-hmm. Digital space.
4: Because um well football resonates all across the world and that they people who maybe do live in... I know that Dundee United have got, like, five Dundee United supporters clubs in Australia. What? Yeah. Actually? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. So, so you want <laughs> to have that sense of home, you know, when you are maybe live somewhere else, so you're connected through, through football or through whatever your, your thing is, so...
3: That's really powerful as well, isn't it, actually? And what's lovely about the show... Well, one of the brilliant things about the show is it brought people closer to him isn't that amazing that you're able to do that? Like, it's not just the game, it's the personalities that kind of lived within it and the nostalgia for him as a leader and, you know, a great figure of Dundee football. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, and that that's,
4: that's down to, and thanks to the family being so open and so generous with their stories. And yeah, they just, they didn't... I don't think Doris, Jim's widow thought that it would anybody cared anymore because his glory days were in the 90s and she thought the show was going to be for one night only and who's going to come and you're just like they, there's an ownership of the man who created all this uh, glory for the team and but they still hold him up
0: It's lovely isn't it and it touches on what you said earlier about football and theatre having so much in common in the part of what's so attractive about Jim is character isn't it and Mm -hmm. I really notice with footballers that it's about character that we connect to their skill of course but we also really connect to character and he was a massive character and that that pulls people back Mm -hmm. and that story that's inherent in a character journey is really exciting. Well yeah and
4: as you say he was he was a leader and how how did you do that and um he was the first person to bring in like psychologists to mm. and nutritionists in the 80s, 90s, when it was f- probably a fad to do something like that. Before that, it was just get the ball and score goals, you know? Yes. And he, he he thought about it and faced a, hu- a huge amount of criticism about that. But and um, it's so accepted now. It's really yeah, interesting. But it's now interesting where innovation comes from. So, so I look at some players now who were under Jim as... Uh, some managers now who were under Jim as players. And I go, I wonder if they've had the moment where they've gone, ah, now I get what Jim was doing. Mm. Like one in particular who just gave him such a hard time. And I see him being interviewed now and I go, I wonder if you know Mm. now and it's landed for you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's that passing on of the knowledge, isn't it? To the next generation, but the next generation aren't always ready for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. 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 So will you do anything different when you come back to the live show?
4: I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the tribute again um, because it was so yeah it just it means so much and I think we need to include something. Um.
0: There's something about gathering isn't there in mm-hmm. that you've because you've done it as a live show, you're doing it as a digital show, you're reading it as a live show. Yeah. the tributes have come in and been part of the film show. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a snowball and mm. it's how you gather that snowball just in the same way as you're talking about fans from around the world then hearing about the show Mm -hmm. and it builds the community that the show is based on itself it's Mm -hmm. really lovely
4: Mm -hmm. there's a funny story that some so the tribute included mainly um tangerine it's not orange it's tangerine tangerine Mm -hmm. and black scarves and flags but uh, there was a lot of rangers flags and celtic flags and aberdeen and across the board like um Fans from the whole spectrum of Scot uh, of mm. Scot of Scottish football um, wanted to pay that tribute, but the the, um, the manager, like the building manager at Tannadice, I'm not having those. I'm not having those in in my building, and he binned them. <gasps> oh, no. oh no! He was like, "It's bad luck. It's bad luck to have like wow. another colour against your color. Yeah. Mm. There's so much <laughs> just tradition, imagine that moment, tradition yeah. isn't there? Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, so the tribute that we had was all just for Jim. It for, uh, was all just uh, Dundee United. But beautiful things, like people had written things on cards and on T-shirts and just the memories that people had of that time. Yeah. So I think uh, we need to include that in some way.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I know we can't wait for it to back on on the rep stage and uh, and already there's been a lot of, we've had people asking us for the last two years, when's it coming back? So um, this announcement, you know, the reason why we're all here today actually to, to announce this season is such an exciting moment and slightly scary. I don't know uh, others around the table that run organizations and theaters when you put something out into the public domain you're basically saying what do you think <laughs> and people tell you what they think and we want them to but there's a little bit of scariness about it but what's lovely about this today is being able to do it firstly in person sitting around a table um and then with with our with our marketing team colleagues getting this out into the world and then um, i wanted just to key in a little bit because Jaima, uh, uh, just a comment that you made earlier which was about that little girl saying i can i can th- sh- she looks like me and of course representation is something that we talk about a lot on stage representation so that we all can see ourselves and people that, you know, our audiences can see themselves, but also representation of roles that aren't as visible um the in creative teams in in technical theatre as well and i'm sitting with um four of the leading female identifying directors in scot in scotland it's very exciting to be sitting around a table with you but i wanted just to key in a little bit uh, uh, you know one part of the representation conversation that's been covered in quite a few recent articles about the underrepresentation of of female creative voices in our industry and i just wondered if you had any kind of thoughts on that currently but also in terms of your own journeys and how you perceive that to have been different, perhaps, to your male colleagues?
3: I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, in, in my directorial life, like, things have changed exponentially, so... Unbelievably. Unbelievably so, and, yeah, uh, you know, when I started out, which was in the early 2000s... I know it's hard to believe because I'm only 25. <laughs> um, like, but in the early 2000s, you know, the people who were mentoring me were kind of coming out of the Annie Castledynes of this world. And they were the beginning, really, yeah. of women There were basically female no female directors
0: beyond Vicky Featherstone, yeah. as far as I could see. Yeah, <laughs> totally.
3: Yeah, and like I had, like, Roxana Zilbert was, like, a big mentor of mine. And she was going, you know, and when she started out, she was like, who did she look to? I mean, it was literally Annie Castledynes. She was the yeah. one who was doing yeah. it. And, like, everybody was talking about this young, ingenue Katie Mitchell. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, that, that was where it stopped, really. So, you know, to have got to this point, you know 20 years later you go we have moved forward exponentially we have still a long way to go in terms of you know it's sort of bonkers really that you just go you know that's just male female divide but and when i started out i don't know if you had this but you know i I, I was sat down and i was told you're gonna have to work harder so when I was... You're going to have to work harder and you're going to have to yeah. be brutal and forceful. Yes. That, was
0: the me- that was the message. Yeah, yeah. And so is you're going to have to
1: be aggressive, as I is, is that what a told? Yeah. for be behaving aggressive. like a man? Yes. Yeah. Is that yes. what that, what yeah. exactly that. accorded? Yeah. accorded. Yeah.
3: I had older yeah. male actors saying to me, I can't wait to see you get angry with everybody. You know, it was like some weird challenge yeah. for me to be aggro with people. And, and the other and thing that happened, which I think on a lot at the moment was... We used to t-
0: that in the early two thousands. People talked a lot about female writing. Yes, like it was a different thing, essentially yeah, yeah. somehow yeah. different in form, choice, and all the rest of it yeah. to male writing. And that you might, yeah. b- you you might might be into female writing. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, the yeah. Sen- the sense that what makes us different. Is implicit and
3: shared with an R. Yes, work which and is people continually <laughs> saying, "What does it feel like to be a female director?" So I don't know. Like you know, I don't know what it feels like to be a female. Di- that's what I am. You know, like that. That's you know what you're talking as though I've sort of slotted some lens on myself and kind of because that's just basically what you're doing is identifying that and othering it to being different to being a man. And it's about hierarchy, isn't it? Yeah. So,
0: we were Both of us starting in the profession was deeply hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing at the moment is that hierarchy is flattening out. I mean, a, a long way to go, but it is. And that our approach to making theatre is now much more collaborative than it was. It used to be very director-led. The director was God in the room. Um, David Edgar told me a story that when he uh, was early early in his career as a playwright the writer used to read the entire play on the first day of rehearsals to the cast, that was the read-through. <laughs> oh, yuck.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> Which just sounds torturous yeah.
0: and painful. But oh, can you you imagine? Know, there was a joke, there was really a time, yeah, incredibly <laughs> boring, you've got to hear the play uh, read as it should be, but also it tells you something about yeah. what the role of the text was at that time yeah. and and what the actors, uh, the expectation on the actor was. And now it feels like there is... M- a much better culture that we still have to open doors into that embraces a diversity of voices, embraces being able to tell stories from all angles, and draw those global, commun- local, and uh, global stories together, and that we're actively
3: looking to theatre to open up conversations. Yeah, definitely, and I think we're we are moving. You know, we are moving forward, and, and you know, the crucial thing now is you know that 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 women have have stepped forward and, you know, we're in a different place than we were, but now it's about that intersectional conversation. It's about, right, so let's, like, start cross-cutting across that and stop being so astonished at ourselves for differentiating between, (laughs) like, ooh, men and women. You know, it's like there's a whole other world there which is about class and race and, you know, and sexuality and, and, you know, there's an experience, an age, you know, and I just go, there's so much more to be had. And the thing, I guess... I feel really aware at the moment that there's a sort of um there's a demand for immediacy like everybody wants it solved yesterday and actually the uh, unfortunately and I'm not saying this is right or proper or, or the way I'd like things done but it it does take a little bit of time you know we we need time to do this and do it properly and to support people through those those journeys <laughs> yeah and do it right across the spectrum of everything we do and it's not just about directors it's not just about writers but it's about the lighting designers and the sound designers Mm -hmm. and the set designers you know and 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 actually you know all of those great and it's about the teams that work in the buildings as well like like i'm i think it's we work very hard to see we we spent a long time looking at who was on stage And actually we need to see who's backstage and who's around the stage and, and who's working in the offices and, you know, and, and who's on the board and who's, you know, who's the governing body who's looking after that charity. And, you know, we've got to start looking right across and that is going to take time. We can't just plunge people into the pool, but we can support people to go on that journey. And, uh, you know, we, we have, you know, in, in the time that I've been in this business, we've made strides, we've got a long way to go. And I, I, you know, I can't wait to see what happens in ten years when I go. Ooh, this is exciting! You know, who's around the corner? It feels a bit to me as uh,
0: not just—it's a bit of a subtle plug for my show, but it's—it's it's also true. Is that we? One of the things we're still missing is that we look to the young as the answer to that. That it's all about training young people, and actually, there is a huge amount of resource within our old generation that we ought to be looking to as well and that it's possible to move from one profession into a totally different one that people can come into theatre very late in their lives and bring a whole different set of skills and, and, and lived experiences
1: and experience. yeah because that's what we need as storytellers we need that lived experience and I think that's what we're acknowledging more and more it's that there are certain stories that are, n- are not ours to tell and we need the storytellers as part of our community to do have the right to to tell those stories and also a lot of these things the majority of these things we cannot solve over social media that's also an observation <laughs> i'd like to offer as well that we need rigorous process uh, to these debate yes but but not trying to solve it in the in the digital space becky what's what's your experience been in in, in kind of this realm in terms of maybe uh entering the entering the industry at a different point would that be fair
2: yeah i mean i was going to say when you were talking about annie castledine and katie mitchell that when i first when i was at uni the and i kind of decided that maybe acting wasn't for me um (laughs) i read a book about female theater directors
3: and they were in it and and it was a kind of q was it was it um women directors on directing yes that was the only book that That was was the only book and i I, remember google or it was in the library
2: or something and i remember being like right this is my manual (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, and they yeah. were just like, ask everyone you can to work, just yeah. hustle it, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to hustle it, and um, but it was really, you know, that was the only thing that I had really, and an amazing, you know, uh, um lecture at uni that just was like, go for it, go for it, and I was like, okay, I'll try, and um, and coming back up to Scotland, I mean, in in, in my awareness at the time, the only person that I was like that is see it be it was my malefic and i was like right look <laughs> so old no no but <laughs> no but you, i mean you you know that 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 was that was it you were my you were my one person iconic oh, not old. Iconic, darling. so so that was where it kind of yeah i had to, i kind of i yeah you just have to look and and i spent a lot of time assisting some brilliant men but men nonetheless and and it and it's sort of like what you were saying lou about um about you kind of at at that starting level you kind of imitate the the directors that you are assisting and you kind of go okay how are they doing it so how do I do it and and it and it was very masculine and it was very I you know I must know everything and I must um and I must be be in control and kind of you know not show any any unknowing or 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 fear and and that's not necessarily kind of a general thought about them but it was just kind of a, a vibe I was getting and and then when I kind of went on to work with some great, you know, uh, uh, other directors, including Erica Wyman, and I went, oh, there's a there's another way you can do it where you can just be more collaborative and calmer. and 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 it kind of just gave me a new perspective on it. It it, it wasn't necessarily completely better. It was just different, and it just opened me up to kind of how how that could work as a as a female director in quotes um but but it was just yeah i suppose it was just seeing what i could see and 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 then imitating it um but i mean since that i've worked with students a lot and i think that that is something that really pushes you to 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 be flexible and open to collaboration because yeah i don't know that they they're amazing minds and and they you know they're very feel very passionately and strongly about about how they want to um form them you know themselves as actors so I think that's really helped me kind of get that perspective as well but I'm very conscious of trying to you know now being given the opportunity to select my creative teams and try trying my best to do that and I kind of keep it diverse and 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 you know have a lot of female creatives on that team um so yeah I'm
1: yeah, I remember in our conversation early on when we were talking about the steamy, and I said, I'd really like to, you know, it's a, it's a very female-driven narrative. I'd really celebrate that across the creative team. And you were like, Andrew, you're not going to have to persuade me <laughs> to want to <laughs> employ women. I was like, I realize that. Yeah. that true. <laughs> but it's also too, what t- talk, working with students, it's so important that we be engaged with, you know, not just the emergent generation, but the pre-emergent generation because that question of why, why are we doing it like that? Why are we talking about it like that? And immediately you go to, oh, that's because that's the way we do it. And of course, that is not an answer to any of those questions. Yeah. So that constant um, interrogation of process, interrogation of thinking about how we tell the stories and how we make the teams that tell the stories.
0: Sure.
3: I think that's right. And I also would advocate for any like emerging director to go... Abs- like. W- w- go and direct a show with a load of students because you're quite right. Like it makes you demand something entirely new of your process. (laughs) And also you've probably got about eight to 12 weeks to do it. So, you know, you're not (laughs) going to just chance your arm. You've really got to prepare every day. It's really hard work. But also, I would I would advocate for people to go and work with actors that are much older than them, because mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to retreat into your peer group. Mm-hmm. But actually, older actors, you know, and it is scary when you walk into a room. And you, I mean, the um, Rep ensemble are a classic example. You go, you walk into that room. Don't think about it too hard, because you're walking into three hundred years worth of experience, <laughs> between, like collectively, and they've done like. Between them, they've done over 500 plays, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Ooh!" But they bring an entirely new experience, and they, you know, they're, they're what help you develop as a director, you know, and you grow, and they challenge you in a completely different way.
1: Absolutely, Becky, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. It's fine. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, they're yeah. amazing. But
3: you do but learn a huge amount about yourself working with people that are much older. Than
1: you. And I think we all remember the first. Well, I certainly remember my first day of directing. First, first day of directing the ensemble, and it is a kind of scary thing. And then you realize, oh no, absolutely, what I need to do is listen and learn. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. it is. And then and then work together, hopefully collaboratively, to mold what we're yeah yeah. Mm. Oh, do. I was
3: warned before I did my first show here as a freelancer. Yeah. Two directors said to me, "Are you sure you're up to it? right oh. Do your prep." I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> And then I walked in and went... <laughs> <laughs> but it was amazing, yeah. And I just listened and learned. You never give me that, chat. <laughs> 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 I threw you to the wolves, darling. <laughs> s- <laughs> <laughs> Good luck.
1: And, and Sally, I mean, yes. would it be fair to say... I don't want to use this, it's so productive, actor turned director. It's not really, you're an artist and you express in lots of different ways, but in terms of th- kind of present company, yeah. we, we know you as an actor and in the last few years have you been really focusing on the directing. What's that been like and is there anything in terms of the kind of gender debate here?
4: Yeah, so it's f- just listening to th- to everyone else, um, I remember a conversation when I started to think, I can't remember what show it was, it was about 10 years ago, so 20 years as an actress. 20 years this year, actually, uh, since I graduated. Thanks. Um, and it's maybe about 10 years ago. I want to say it was in the Lyceum because I can picture where I was sitting. Anyway, you can so this is only in my head. Um, <laughs> but I had a conversation with one of my peers, an actor, who said, I want to be a director. And the next day, they were a director. And I went... And I wouldn't maybe quite like to kind of maybe be a director too. And it took me maybe seven years to like think about it, read lots of books, talk to people, go like just embed it in <laughs> before I raised it out loud. And I don't know if that's a male-female thing or if it's just um, maybe maybe it's just me that I needed to feel secure that I knew what I was doing before I said it out loud. Um, of
1: course, we all want to know if that person is... Now as successful directors, yeah. are. But
4: okay. well, well, yeah. <laughs> but it was just the boldness of like, I'm doing, this is what I'm doing now. I w- went, oh, this is what I'm doing, but I'll go around this way. Um. Uh, but, so I went to colleges and directed students and that experience, again, like 20 people for a four-person play and double cast, triple casting and all that. Yeah, it was great though. Yeah. And... um. And then just starting to, to say it out loud because I also was aware of who else does this who's an actor, director. And I couldn't, apart from men, couldn't pinpoint anyone. But then Lou and I had a conversation last week and it was like, oh yeah, there is. And just own it. And, you, and Jemima, you say all the time, and you, you're just so incredibly supportive all the time and visible, uh, you know, you're workload's enormous but you're also just there for like me and I'm sure like 20 other people behind me who ask your advice and um yep (laughs) and you're and you're just like just wear the badge just wear it yeah you're a director just put Put the the badge on in the the morning and that's what you are and and I took that and I was like yeah because you do the work you do the prep and you have a a a vision of what you want the show to be. You have a fantastic, great creative team and you just, you just own it. Yeah. So it's taken me a long time to do that. And and I still want to balance both. I'm really desperate to get back in a rehearsal room as an actor and see what's changed.
1: Sadly, we're coming to the end of our time on this episode of Rep Sounds, um, but to be picked up when we're hopefully all back in the building again um, mid, mid-season, maybe just by way of wrapping things up I have to say it's really humbling um hearing the conversations this morning and being here in the table with you I'm, I'm so incredibly excited that you're joining us for this season I think it's going to be truly amazing what talent and leadership uh, we've got around this table I
3: can't wait to see these shows I'm and genuinely, genuinely. I'm really excited I'm
1: yeah. like ooh, uh,
3: I really want to see all of these this is such a bonus <laughs>
1: well, well I suppose that's my next kind of like final question just to go in the table maybe just one thing that you hope audiences will get from this season or you would like to give audiences as part of this season it can be to do with you the project that you're working on or it could be one of the projects we've been talking about this morning
3: i just want everybody to feel part of something again like that's the thing for me i want everyone to have that little fluttery moment and i think they'll get it from all of these shows actually genuinely that fluttery moment when you're in a in a collective moment and everybody's laughing or everybody's very quiet or whatever that collective moment is. I want everybody to get that buzz off of being in the auditorium together again, like, you know, and it's obvious in Christmas shows, isn't it? Right. Cause well, there's just more of that sort of thing happening, but I just, I think it happens in all theater and it's that, that collective moment the audience have together, not singularly on your sofa watching netflix but mm. you know that togetherness that's the thing i'm excited about
1: which you just cannot get anywhere else
3: can't get yeah. it anywhere and else you, you just don't know yeah. you get and, and it's loud and it's quiet it's it's inherently dramatic i love that that's to what i'm towards forward to yeah yeah. yeah yeah
4: yeah i second that and also <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> just gone very formal haven't we <laughs> <laughs> closing up the meeting
4: yes <laughs> That togetherness that I saw, so I was super nervous the first time we did Smile three years ago because it was the first main stage thing that I directed and thank you for the opportunity and (laughs) very formal. Um, So going back to to maybe be a bit more relaxed and look at it from a different angle and have the confidence um, to maybe just be a bit more creative and wear the badge. And yeah. um, but that's a me bigger personally. A rosette. A rosette, yeah. A, a tangerine rosette. Um, so that that's that's personally, but also not nothing nothing beat that the last time I saw the show live and I sat in one of the side seats so I could see the audience and I just sat and watched them and seen this this collective sold out group of men <laughs> holding each other like arm in arm, like rows of them and you're just like i want them to experience another play mm. and another experience in the theater not just because it's uh, their show the gym show um but i don't yeah be interested to see if they come come back a double ticket deal just yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely we're uh, Gemma scribbling notes as we speak yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely, that's always the aspiration to kind of, once you capture someone's imagination, oh, to say, now I'd come back that. and let yeah. us let us do that again. Let us tell you a different yeah. story. Because I think they yeah. did
4: that with, I think box office did that with the bookies. I'd really love to know if, if um, like a ticket deal, if you saw Smile come and see yeah. the bookies. Mm-hmm. Um, or the steamer, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, can I just say, right, so when you're talking about the first time going to a theatre, my first time was Panto in Perth and I'm dying. I, I can, again, remember where I was sitting. Auditorium, Right, and it was Puss in Boots, and I'm desperate to know who was maybe in it. But I was four or five years old, and the shout-outs.
1: Fletcher Mathers <laughs> was in it. Really? Yeah. You know that? How do yeah. you know that? I'm pretty sure I'm right, but we can check it. Because I saw that production. That would yeah. be
4: like, that's the first thing, and I was bowled over by direct address, yeah. them talking to me, Yeah. and going, they know me, and it's, they're talking yeah, to amazing. me. And then now I'm in it and she was in the first ever job I did as well. That'd be amazing if it was her. Mm.
1: We're going to check that out now. We'll do like a coda to this podcast. Mm. Also <laughs> there was,
4: also there was, there's direct address in, um, smile. Just then, <laughs> tick, <Just yesterday. laughs>
1: Tech. <laughs> Tech. <laughs> Tech. Songs? Um, Working not yet. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> okay. I said
0: that. <laughs> if you can remember your way back. Yeah, yeah um community joy and all the rest of it and also possibly um the fridge moment the moment where you go to the fridge and something that you've seen makes you think again that is Mm. what i would like the audience to have
2: oh can't really top that um I I think with this well I think with the steamy I, I think people know it people know it so well you know I've talked to so many people already that have said oh we used to watch that on Hogney like on the telly and so on and and that they you know th- th- it reminds you know their mum and their grandma and all that kind of had that experience growing up and so I'd love I'd love them all to come together in a in a similar way hopefully a kind of a, a kind of intergenerational. Um, uh, audience thing but also Scottish audiences will tell you when they're they know something you know and I think that that they're not afraid to kind of oh you know all that kind of. and there's so many moments in the steam that feel like those kind of moments so I really hope we can create that for them that they have that kind of knowing collaborative moment where they kind of groan or cheer at something that they know and love and return to so that's my hope
1: what an exciting season we have ahead of us. Um, thank you to everyone who's been part of this episode of Rep Sounds. Thanks to Becky, thanks to Lou, thanks to Sally, and thank you to Jemima. Um, that brings us to the end. Um, I've been Andrew Panton, artistic director here, saying thank you for listening, and please do come and visit us at Dundee Rep and Scottish Dance Theatre for the upcoming season. Goodbye. <laughs>